Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board Review podcast. I'm your host, Ben Young, and this week, I'm joined, you, you introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Faye Kai, and I'm not an ophthalmologist. Yeah, uh, my normal co-host, Andrew, is uh, overseas doing important things, and Amanda, who is my other usual co-host, uh, is out on maternity. Congrats, Amanda, on uh, happy, healthy delivery. So I'm stuck with Faye, who is a host of the OB Guide podcast, Kriag's Over Coffee. Highly recommended to our OB friends, but you'll notice that's not an ophthalmology podcast because she's not an ophthalmologist. Also, Faye is my fiance, but she's here to keep us company as you learn about this week's topic, retinopathy of prematurity. I happen to know a lot about retinopathy of prematurity. Not a lot. Really? I just cause it. Oh, yeah, great. Okay, so I guess that's oddly ap- appropriate. So, you know, we picked this topic because OCAPS is coming up, not to increase anyone's anxiety, but I think this is a topic that is often tested on during the OCAPS or the boards. But uh, a lot of us, I mean, I don't want to speak for every residency, but many residency programs have somewhat limited exposure to ROP, which in a sense is a good thing because its frequency is not tremendously high, but it's something that we definitely need to know about because of the severe complications it can have. We're going to split this up essentially into two episodes. This week, we're going to talk about the pathophysiology and diagnosis of retinopathy prematurity. And then next week, we're going to come back and talk about the three pivotal studies that guide our current treatment of retinopathy prematurity. So first of all, Ben, I mean, I've heard of retinopathy of prematurity, but by that time, those babies are already in the NICU and I don't see them very much. Are things getting better? Is the incidence becoming less or more? Yeah, so that historically has kind of ebbed and flowed. Initially, when NICUs were first developed, high oxygen treatments were very frequently used to help limit the other neonatal complications that can happen with prematurity. However, at a certain point, people realized that hyperoxia, i.e. giving too much oxygen, worsened our retinopathy prematurity substantially. This realization and further attempts by NICUs to titrate oxygen therapy to only what is needed led to a severe to a significant drop in the frequency of ROP. However, because NICUs are getting better and better at what they do, more and more premature infants are surviving, which has led to a gradual increase in the frequency of ROP. So you mentioned, Ben, that giving high levels of oxygen can lead to worsen ROP. Can you talk a little bit more about that pathophysiology? Yeah. So to understand ROP, we first have to understand how the normal retinal vasculature develops. ROP is really a retinal vascular disease like diabetic retinopathy and sickle cell retinopathy, which we talked about before, but it only happens in premature infants. So to start with, normally the retinal vasculature starts at the optic nerve head. That's where all the retinal vessels start. And then they creepy crawl out across the retina until they hits the edge of the retina, the aura serrata. It's thought that what guides this... <coughs> bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Have you been to Wuhan recently? Or Okay. It's thought that what guides the growth of these blood vessels is the production of VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor, which you normally think about in you know, adult disease is a really bad thing. You know, if you've been in a retina clinic, you've injected anti-VEGF because VEGF produces those that nasty neovascularization that can cause all sorts of ophthalmic complications. However, in normal retinal vasculogenesis, 
the production of VEGF is good because it guides the natural um, development of retinal blood vessels. A slightly off topic, but not really, is knowing when the retinal vasculature development is complete. So remember that the optic nerve head leans nasally because the fovea is in the center and the optic nerve head is nasal to the fovea. So the nasal side of the periphery finishes first because the retinal blood vessels start at the optic nerve. So the nasal side of the blood vessels finish at about 36 weeks of fetal age. And do you guys call it that fetal age? Gestational age. Gestational age. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to be hip. Um, and then the in the other direction, because a temporal peripheral retina is further from the optic nerve than the nasal, that takes about 40 weeks to develop or to finish. And that's important because of this kind of asymmetry in where the optic nerve head is and where the retinal vessels start. The temporal vessels tend to, or the temporal side of the retina tends to be where retinopathy prematurity involute last. Okay. Now, so that's how normal retinal development works. However, if an infant is born early and receives oxygen, then that actually will limit the production of vascular endothelial growth factor. It's sort of a natural anti-VEGF effect. The, what's bad about that is without the ischemic retina producing vascular endothelial growth factor, it will no longer pull or guide the blood vessels to continue growing across the ischemic retina. And as a result, once an infant is given less oxygen or once the retina again becomes ischemic, it'll produce vascular endothelial growth factor, but it will instead lead to neovascularization, not to normal vascular development. So that's a really good explanation of what causes ROP and what ROP is. Um, what about classifications of ROP? Like there's clear, there must be stages for ROP. Yeah, wow. It's almost like you've been studying for awards because that's like the big thing for us to memorize is staging of ROP. Yeah, I clearly always study for ophthalmology boards. boards can I say, while being an OBGYN. Can I say, when in med school, I did an OB rotation, okay? Yet in med school, Faye did not do an ophthalmology rotation. Does that seem fair to anyone in the audience? I'll delete that, but it's not fair at all. Yeah, so to classify ROP, there's three um, aspects to classify. One is called extent, and that's very simple. That's just how many clock hours or what clock hours are affected in an ROP patient. So that's all I have to say about extent for now. Then there's the concept of zones and then staging. So we'll talk about zones first. There are three zones. Also, all the zones are essentially centered at the optic disc. Zone one is a circle centered on the optic disc with a radius essentially of that of the macula. So it encompasses the whole macula as well as the nasal periphery that would be the same size as the macula. It's about 60 degrees of, you know, if the retina was a full complete sphere, it's about 60 degrees of that sphere, 60 arcs. It's not actually the radius, the the radius is not actually the macula, it's twice the distance from the optic disc to the fovea. Like that's technically what it is, but it's easier to just remember the macula because that's approximately what twice the distance from the optic disc to the fovea is. Zone two doesn't include zone one. It's essentially a circle centered on the optic disc that extends to the nasal aura. So it encompasses the whole periphery up to the nasal aura and then goes as far out temporally as the nasal aura does. But remember, the optic disc is kind of skews nasally, so that means there's some temporal periphery that is not encompassed by zone two. So then zone three is that crescent of temporal retina that's left over from zone two. So 
Hopefully that makes sense. The These zones go along with what I talked about before about normal retinal development. Basically, the normal retina develops first. It fills up zone one, that circle. Then it goes to zone two, that circle. And then it finishes up in zone three at about 40 weeks. So you've talked about kind of the ex- the amount of the retina that the ROP can cover. What about how bad the ROP is? And this is the extent of my vocabulary about retinopathy of prematurity as an OBGYN. Yeah, well, we let's extend that vocabulary. Yay. So uh, there are five stages of disease that can happen in any of these zones. Stage, well, let me start with the, the legendary stage zero, which is not one of the five stages, but uh, stage zero is just where the vessels have not yet gone out to. And keep in mind that this can be normal. It's basically where there's an absence of vessels. If someone is, say, born at 34 weeks, then you'd expect them to be stage zero in part of their nasal periphery and for all their temporal periphery. Because I, as we said, you normally finish getting to the nasal periphery at 36 weeks. So if you're 34 weeks, you expect to be some stage zero disease, and that's fine. You should still follow those patients, which we'll talk about in next episode, but um, that's not necessarily disease. Stage one is called a demarcation line. Basically, it's a white line. You can see that it's kind of a barrier between where there's avascular retina and retina with vessels. Stage two is where that line gets some depth. It becomes what we call an epiretinal ridge. What do you think happens to be to change from a demarcation line to an epiretinal ridge is remember that the vessels are kind of growing out towards where there's VEGF, i.e. the normal premature retina that does not yet have vessels. And what they think is the arteries and veins project capillaries into where there's um, ischemic retina, where there's VEGF being produced. Those capillaries... If they don't have VEGF anymore, I, it's they're having retinopathy prematurity, then kind of coalesce and you get arteriovenous shunts that grow between the arteries and veins and that can gain some thickness. And that's when epiretinal ridge is. So that's stage two. Stage three is where that ridge then gets fibrovascular proliferation. So that's where you start to have actual neovascularization. The VEGF has kicked back in causing new blood vessels to be formed, but you're no longer in the mode of normal vascular genesis. Now you're in neovascular genesis where we get those bad blood vessels that cause problems in so many retinal vascular diseases. So now you're getting um, vessels that go from within the retina, project through the internal limiting membrane and into the vitreous or anteriorly. So that's uh, stage three. Stage four is when those blood vessels eventually cause a tractional retinal attachment. Um, so stage four, there's technically two parts of stage four. I don't know if they'll quiz us that much on OCAPs or boards, but stage 4A is just an extrafovial retinal attachment. And stage 4B is where that retinal attachment involves the fovea. And the stage five is when those tractional membranes formed from that neovascularization becomes enough that someone has a funnel retinal detachment. So it's a complete retinal attachment, essentially. Okay, so to summarize, there's five stages, and I didn't have a great mnemonic for this, so Faye and I were looking at this before recording, and she actually came up with a great mnemonic, in my opinion, and that mnemonic is, uh, she's giving me this big smile now, that mnemonic is Dr. Fit, D-R-F-I-T, for the five stages of ROP, and those stages are D, demarcation line, stage two, R for ridge, stage three, F for vibrovascular, i.e. fibrovascular tufts that emerge from the ridge. 
four is I, incomplete detachment, and five is T for total detachment. So that's Dr. Fit, your new ROP mnemonic courtesy of Faye. One other thing that, that you we should know about to prepare for treatment to know about next episode is something called plus disease. So plus disease is where the ischemic conditions are such that the normal arteries and veins become engorged, so you get thicker, and they also become tortuous, corkscrewed. So that, that's plus disease, which matters in therapeutic criteria. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Ben. That was a really good explanation for staging. Those were a lot of words that I didn't understand, but I feel like you explained that very well. And I now, as an obstetrician, do understand the consequences of delivering my babies early. However, I do have to say, one of the things that I've been taught is that there's no obstetric problem that I can't make into a neonatal problem. Well, that's good. Well, now that you know about ROP, you can join us and help us uh, do ROP rounds now, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll sign you up for next Friday. I don't want to. I don't want to work that day. So, I mean, we've talked about now the reasons why people get ROP. We've talked about how it develops. We've talked about the zones, um, as well as the staging of ROP. So, what are the consequences of a neonate having ROP? Yeah. So, the the main consequences are ending up with um, stage five or stage four retinopathy prematurity. Now. If you're following one of these babies, typically it starts, these stages start to involute at age 38 weeks. So they may have the sequelae of what happened, the tractional membranes have developed. But, um, you know, if they only got to stage one or two, for example, it will start to involute at gestational age of 38 weeks. However, there are still long-term consequences of ROP that can develop in, in um, patients who had a history of ROP. And those include myopia, so their axial length can increase and they can get the sequelae that go along with that, including things like lattice degeneration and ultimately regmatogenous retinal attachments. They can also get strabismus and they're a high risk of amblyopia. You know, if they had one of the later stages of ROP, then even if they don't have a total retinal attachment or even a partial retinal attachment, they the tractional membranes that develop can cause foveal dragging, which can change the position of the fovea and cause strabismus, anomalous retinal correspondence, and a, a bunch of things that we'll have to talk about in pediatrics episodes. Basically, what all this means is even if a patient with ROP, even if a, a if you have a premature patient that does not develop clinically significant retinopathy prematurity, they should still be followed by a pediatric ophthalmologist to screen for things like amblyopistrobismus and um, high myopia. And well, that's all we have for this week. Thanks for joining me, Faye. Of Do course. you feel like you enjoyed learning about ophthalmology? I did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I still yeah. don't know a lot of the words that came out of your mouth, but I seem to understand that, yes, retinopathy of prematurity is a significant problem and that there are many stages. There are. You know, I was actually planning on recording this episode by myself, but Faye happened to be around, so I kind of forced her into becoming my voluntary. I, I voluntold her to be my ophthalmology co-host, and I'm glad that she <laughs> was able to spend a Saturday evening with me talking about running off the prematurity. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes 4 ears at the number four, and you can go to our website, eyes4ears.net. If you like to support the podcast and like review on iTunes, wherever you find your podcast, is really helpful. And before we end this episode, I want to announce just for clerical purposes, one correction from the last episode. 
and that is we incorrectly claimed that the order in which muscles become involved in thyroid eye disease is in the same order as a spiral to low and that's incorrect. It's actually can remembered using mnemonic I'm slow, I-M-S-L-O. So inferior rectus, medial rectus, superior rectus, lateral rectus, and then the obliques. Shout out to our listener, Tiago Fernandez, who listened to that episode and sent us a correction. Um, we're going to correct the original recording soon, but just in case people listened to that and took it to heart, that's our correction. We'll catch you next week. Where we'll talk about the main ROP trials that guide current therapy, cryo-ROP, ET-ROP, and the lovely named BEAT-ROP. Until next week, have a good time, good luck studying, and bye! Bye!